On episode 601 of the 40 Plus Fitness Podcast, we meet Martinez Evans and discuss his book, Slow AF Run Club, the ultimate guide for anyone who wants to run. You can find the full show notes for this episode at 40plusfitnesspodcast.com forward slash 601. Have you decided you're ready to make a change to reclaim your health and fitness? The 40 Plus Fitness Podcast is here for you. Each week, we dive deep into health and fitness topics that affect those of us over 40. I'm Coach Allen. I'm an NASM certified personal trainer with specializations in corrective exercise, behavior change, performance enhancement, and fitness nutrition. A Precision Nutrition Level 1 coach, a FAI certified functional aging specialist, and an OTA Level 2 online trainer. Each week, I'm joined by our co-host, Coach Rachel. She is an NASM certified personal trainer and a RRCA level one run coach. Let us be your coaches as you find your way on your health and fitness journey. All right, let's go. Are you struggling to get and stay motivated to eat right and move more? Are you frustrated with the slow pace of progress or no progress? Are you missing that spark and energy you used to have and see yourself sliding into old age right before your own eyes? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then it's time to take action with 40 Plus Fitness online personal training. With 40 Plus Fitness, you won't waste time on ineffective workouts or diets that don't work. You'll have personalized nutrition and training plans designed to address your unique needs. You'll lose weight and you'll keep it off. You'll get stronger and more fit, all in a sustainable way that works for you. Beyond the guidance and support, you'll have me, Coach Allen, to hold you accountable. This accountability will help you be more consistent, and that's where the magic happens. Take the first step toward a healthier, happier you by scheduling a free discovery call with me at 40plusfitness.com forward slash discovery. On this call, we'll discuss your unique needs and how you can get the results you want and deserve. You'll leave this discovery call with a plan of action. So what are you waiting for? Book your free discovery call with me today at 40plusfitness.com forward slash discovery. Results start with this click. 40plusfitness.com forward slash discovery. Hey, Raz, how are you? Good, Alan. How are you today? I'm doing all right. I'm, I'm traveling uh, to see family. We're doing a family reunion on my father's side. First time I'm probably going to be around all of my brothers and sisters on that side of the family. And oh, guys, it's got to be 15 years. Wow. Um, and, well, no, they all came to my wedding. So there, there was the wedding, which I guess was a little over eight years ago. So mm-hmm. eight years ago, we were all together. Mm-hmm. But uh, this is extended families. So my father's brothers are going to be there with their families. And my stepmother's sister is going to be there. Uh, there's going to be all the nephews and nieces and and all that. So it's it's what turned into what was going to be just probably about a dozen of us is now going to be something like 30 or 35. Nice. (laughs) Yeah. That's awesome. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. And you may have recognized that last week, I didn't really talk a lot uh, about my life, about what was going on. And I I apologize. Mm -hmm. I did. I did that on purpose. I was going through a pretty rough week. Um, Mm -hmm. I lost a really good friend and uh, uh, it was very frustrating because he was staying with us at Lula's um, and he was supposed to stay through uh, July 5th. And then he left two days early mm-hmm. and he, he died of a heart attack on the morning of July 5th. My um, now the thing was when he got to Lula's, he was a little, he said he wasn't feeling well. He told us he wasn't feeling well, uh, stomach issues and that kind of thing. And so we were like, okay, you gotta, you know, you got a parasite, go get, go get some medication, that kind of thing. Uh, Cause it happens down here, you know, <laughs> just, it mm-hmm. just does. But he started complaining about heartburn. Mm-hmm. And then he justified that in that he had had spicy soup uh, the mm-hmm. night before. There's a, a Japanese uh, chain here. It's the only chain restaurant we have on the whole island 
Um, and I don't actually like their sushi all that much, but uh, he had one of the spicy soups and he as spicy as they'd make it. Uh, that's one thing he and I had in common was we like spicy food. <laughs> and so, but he was complaining about heartburn and then he was complaining about just difficulty breathing. Mm-hmm. And that's what I heard. And I was like, okay, well, just try slowing yourself down, slowing your body down and try breathing through your nose. If you can get yourself to where you're breathing through your nose, you're going to regulate your sympathetic nervous system and that should help calm you down. That's why people will, if they're hyperventilating, will breathe into a bag. It's it's all about slowing down your sympathetic nervous system anyway um, and getting a balance of CO2 and oxygen. But I wasn't in the conversation where he talked about the arm pain. Mm. Um, so I didn't, I didn't know about that symptom, but my wife had tried to talk him into going down and, and seeing the doctors and having a conversation, getting an EKG or something. Again, had I known this, uh, I think I, I have an EKG at the house somewhere. I have to find it, but I have one mm-hmm. and we could have sat down with him and, and done that, or we could have just made him go to the hospital which we didn't. We didn't do either of those. Um, And so it's kind of one of those things where you're like, I should have paid attention to the symptoms. I know the symptoms. Uh, He had poo-pooed them as being the soup. um, And I should have paid a lot more attention. Uh, So I was just saying, the only reason I'm bringing this up today instead of, you know, I didn't bring up last week because it was still really, really raw, was just pay attention to the people around you. If they're not Mm -hmm. feeling well, Go, tell them to go get checked out, mm-hmm. it, particularly if they're over 50, over 60. Just tell them, just don't play around with it. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, don't play around with it. Just go get checked out. You know, in our in our little hospital, it would have cost him. Um, I don't I shouldn't even probably say this on the on the air. Eighteen dollars, <laughs> eighteen dollars oh. to get an EKG. You, yeah. He'd gone down to the emergency room. They'd have brought him in. They'd have hooked him up to an IV because they just that's what they do. They would have mm-hmm. hooked him up to an EKG a little bit later. They would have probably seen some problems, enough mm-hmm. problems to tell him, we've got to ambulance you to Changanola or David, where he would have gotten proper care mm-hmm. in time. And as a result, now he hasn't and he passed. Um, so I'm, I'm only saying that to bring you down or anything, but I just, mm-hmm. just recognize your body tries to tell you when it's hurting. It tries to tell you when things are wrong. And right. if you feel things are wrong, things are wrong. So listen to your <laughs> body, uh, listen to what's going on mm-hmm. and then just go get checked out. It, it's not that big a deal. And yeah, there's yeah. a little bit of expense, even a more expense maybe for you up there in the U.S., but just realize that if you don't get checked out, what's the alternative? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sorry, Alan. I'm I'm really sorry for the loss of your friend. My heart goes out to you. And I think just to emphasize your point again, I, I feel like we're in our 50s, most of us, and a lot of our listeners are certainly over 40, but um, we're not as invincible as we used to be. And it's easy to dismiss common aches and pains because, you know, we're weekend warriors or we're doing these really big projects around the house and we hurt our joints and we're fatigued and stuff. But, but I think that once you hit 40 or maybe even over 50, like those little aches and pains can also signal something else. And and you're absolutely right. You know, I'm not a doctor and I need a doctor to help diagnose what's going on. And it's just a quick trip to the hospital. It's I'm I'm a better safe than sorry kind of person myself. So, yeah. So good to listen. Mm -hmm. Go go get your your regular tests, the things you're supposed Mm -hmm. to do. If there's blood in your urine, go talk to a doctor, (laughs) a urologist, if you're chest is a little tight, if your arm is hurting, if you're having trouble breathing, Mm -hmm. if you have what you think is heartburn Mm -hmm. and it lasts more than a Tums, go to the doctor. Yeah. Go to the doctor. It's, it's, you know, it's worth Mm -hmm. it. And you don't have to, you don't, well, you don't even have to make it a 911 thing. It's just Mm -hmm. a simple, Hey, let's head on down to the emergency room. Let them know I'm having this symptom. And I can tell you from experience, when you go up to an emergency room and you're over 40 years old and you walk in there and tell them your chest hurts, 
you go in first. You get attention. <laughs> yes. They just walk you back there. There's no, yes. there's no <laughs> questions about, oh, go sit in the, nope. They just mm -hmm. come on with me. You're yeah. literally sitting down and you're hooked up to an IV and an EKG. Boom. Like that. Yep. They're handing you a nitroglycerin and saying, here, take this. Mm -hmm. You know, and you ask them what it is. It's a nitroglycerin. Is it just a precaution? Doesn't hurt you if it's not a heart attack, but could really help you if it is. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, for me, that one was uh, dehydration and water poisoning. Um, you know, and I collapsed and I threw up and I, I defecated at the mm -hmm. same time, uh, mm -hmm. which is not a nice thing to do. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't recommend it. Probably was really close to going into a coma and didn't know it. Mm -hmm. uh, went home and I, I told my coworkers, don't call 911, you know, because it's kind of the thing. I got dirty underwear now. I didn't when I came to work, but I do now. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm going home and getting cleaned up. And I went home, got cleaned up, I rested, and I didn't feel any better. I went to the emergency room. Uh, but I didn't call 911. I just got in my car, cal calmly drove down to the hospital, walked in and told them I have chest pains. So, well, we'll kind of get off that topic. But uh, <laughs> because yeah. we are going to talk about running and new mm -hmm. runners and health mm -hmm. and things of that. So, yes, uh, let's let's have this conversation with Martinez. Great. Our guest today has run eight marathons since his doctor told him to lose weight or die in July 2012. Since then, he's coached hundreds of runners, been featured in the New York Times, Men's Health, The Wall Street Journal, Runner's World, New York Post, LAD Bible, HuffPo, Magnolia, and U.S. News and World Report. With no further ado, here's Martinez Evans. Martinez, welcome to 40 Plus Fitness. Hey, man. Thank you for having me. So your book is called Slow AF Running Club, The Ultimate Guide to Anyone Who Wants to Run. This is a family-friendly kind of show, so I'm not going to spell out what AF is, but uh, even if you're not one of the hip kids, uh, I think you kind of know what that is. But uh, <laughs> and, and fabulous. Slow and fabulous. <laughs> Slow and fabulous. You know, I'm really glad that you took the time to write this book because so many of the books that are out there, and I think you even mentioned it, uh, they're written by previous Olympians. Uh, they're written for someone who wants to shave, you know, 30 seconds off their time so they can come in with a PR on their half marathon or or whatever. Uh, and where they're, you know, they're going to get that one, two or three place in their run. Uh, but you're, you're this person that's, um, that's in the back of the pack, mm -hmm. uh, that doesn't fit the mold, if you will. Um, when I was doing my longer runs, I weighed about 195 pounds and that was called a Clydesdale, uh, in, in those days, we'd call those Clydesdales because there weren't a lot of us that big running marathons and ultra marathons. Um, and you kind of saw it because I was, I was probably a good 60, 70 pounds heavier than just about everybody else out there. Um, but I was also somewhat of a back of the packer then because I just couldn't run as fast as most of them could. But I, I still ran. And I think that's what was so awesome about your story is you were basically told you need to do something or you're going to die. And then you told him what you were going to do. And then he says, you're going to die. Uh, you mind right. telling that story? <laughs> yeah. So approximately 10 years ago, um, I was working at Men's Warehouse at the time. Um, let's get a little context. Working at Men's Warehouse was on my feet eight to 10 hours a day in hard bottom dress shoes, um, selling suits. And I developed some hip pain because of this, right? Like, who wouldn't in your hard bottom dress shoes walking on concrete? So I go see a doctor. First time you ever meet this doctor, um, he has no previous experience with me. And he goes, you know, I know why you're in pain. Okay, what's that? And he's like, you're fat. And then he goes on to say, you're fat, you need to lose weight or die. And I remember being frustrated, just being a person of size. And just going through all of this again, like you telling me to lose weight or die, but you you don't know me, right? Like you're here to figure out what's going on with my hip. So then he's going like, you know, you need to start walking. You need to, you know, go buy walking shoes and all this other stuff. And I was like, screw that. I'm going to run a marathon. And then he laughs at me and tells me that's the most stupidest thing he has heard in all his years of practicing medicine. So now you didn't call me fat. Now you didn't tell me I was going to die. And then, you know, he, he goes on to say, well, if you run this marathon, you're guaranteed going to die on the course. So, like, 
I'm just sitting here with all these options where it just ends up just me being dead, for lack of better words. So like lose weight or die. All right, I'm gonna run a marathon. No, you can't run a marathon because you're gonna die then. So I just left that doctor's office very frustrated and very irritated. Um, and on my way home, I just happened to drive by a running shoe store and I went in there and told them I need running shoes. I need them now. And that's that's awesome. You know, it's it's funny that um what will actually trigger us to basically say we've got to we've got to do something different. We're going to do something different. And I love stories like that because Yours was one of um, being a rebel of just saying, screw it. I'm, I know right. what I can do. I'm, I, you know, don't tell me who I am. Um, I'm going to prove you wrong. Now, when you decided, okay, then you had those new running shoes and you put them on, your first running story <laughs> didn't, didn't quite go as planned. How does someone get started doing this? Because I, I see a lot of people thinking about it the same way you did as well, you know, just jump on this treadmill and go. Can you talk a little bit about that, your story, and then how does someone get started? Yeah, so, you know, I get home, got these shoes on. I'm, I, I, I was like, I'm going to run a marathon today. Um, and I'm inconveniently sandwiched in between two gazelles on a treadmill. These guys are going 9 and 10 on the treadmill. They made it look effortlessly. And here I am, you know, 300-pound guy who haven't been on the treadmill in years. And trying and sizing these guys up to figure out, all right, how fast do I need to go? So I thought to myself, where well, these guys is going nine and ten, I can at least go seven. And next thing you know, fifteen seconds later, I fell in, I fell off the treadmill. Um, mortified, embarrassed, because like the gazelles all on their pedestal, they they just look down at me as they're still running. I just feel like they just look down on me, like, hey, bro, are you all right? Um. So, you know, I went home, tears in my eyes, embarrassed. And it's something about that, right? Um, I have this tattoo on my right wrist, and I talk about this in the book. I'm like, I have a tattoo that says, no struggle, no progress, which is a famous quote from Frederick Douglass. And the portions of the quote, uh, the portions of the, the speech that stands out to me is where he goes, you know, if there's no struggle, there's no progress. Men who favor freedom yet deprecate agitation is men who want crops without plowing the land. They want um, rain without thunder and lightning. They want ocean without its roar. And he goes on to say that, you know, the struggle may be a, a physical one, a moral one, or even a mental one, but there needs to be some type of struggle in order to get progress. And I think for myself, like, going through that and hearing that speech rang true in my, in my head in this situation and being like, okay, like, I really know what this, this quote really means. This really means that, all right, I have to go through the struggle in order to figure out like what's on the other side. And I think that's one of the things I want to mention to the people who are out here, right? When you're starting to get started, like hopefully you don't fall off the treadmill like I did. Hopefully. Yeah. I pray that you don't. <laughs> um, but I think that when it comes to most individuals, when they do start out, they, they do what I call the terrible twos. They start out too fast, too soon, or do too much. So if they do too much, too soon, and too fast, you're still going to have that that fall off the treadmill instance because they are going out the gate and not necessarily going at a speed or uh, at a rate that can be healthy and um, something that they their body can get used to. Now, the, the run plans that you do have in the book, um, I like how they kind of start someone out where they are. So not everybody's going to jump right into maybe your 12-week program for the 5K. They might need to do a little bit of a base building first. And you kind of have a um, almost like a four-week plan in there that they can repeat and do until they feel like, okay, now I can do this and, and now I'm ready to do this. And so it's kind of stair-step built. So I really like how you put that together because I think it makes it, I'm not going to say um, brainless, but at least makes it to where someone knows, okay, I have to have to conquer this thing first right and then i'm ready for this thing and I, I just like how you did that thank you thank you and i think that really just goes from like the the amount of experience i have coaching individuals as well as the experience i had when i was going through this journey when i first got started running is that you know most training plans um start off with you know let's let's go start let's start running with a a slow 10 minute mile. And it's like, wait a minute. Like, <laughs> this is what you're assuming is slow. And like, this is what you're assuming a beginner should do. 
And I think that that's where a lot of people get tripped up at. Yeah. And, and I, I, I think that's important because, you know, so for some people who have never run and you say 10 minute mile, that doesn't actually mean anything to them right. know, until they get out there and actually get on their watch and they start and they do a mile and they're like, okay, well, that, that mile took me 20 minutes. So I'm not ready for a 10 minute mile yet. Right. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm ready for a 20 minute mile, but here's, here's the key of it. You put in the 20 minutes of work and you got that mile behind you. And every mile that you do after that is just another one that's building on the one you're going to do next. And I think that's, you know, when you talked a lot about how you got started and then you were going and there were, there were times, even when you were well-trained that you struggled and you fought. And, and so I, I appreciate again, you saying that, that, you know, this is about the struggle and running for anyone that's done it, uh, for any amount of time knows that that's, that's what most of this is, is a struggle. And it's an internal struggle because no one else is going to pick up your foot. Uh, you got to do it and you got to take that step and the next step and the next step. And, um, I liked how in the warm up you, um, you know, cause everybody will say this, okay, well do your warm up, And so you're going to put a warm up in there. But your warm-up is not just physical. You have a mental component to your warm-up. Can you talk a little bit about your warm-up process? Absolutely. So running is just as mental as it is physical. And I personally think that running is 90% mental and 10% physical. Because like anybody, you know, can, if you do it consistent enough, like you can lift this, this bottle of hand sanitizer and like get something out of it, right? So like the actual movement part, I think it's the easy part. I think it's the mindset part that a lot of people struggle with, right? Like anybody can be a runner, but not everybody do it. And it's because of the mindset aspect of it. So when it comes to my mindset, Romo, it's one of the things of really just getting yourself mentally prepared for this, for, for this bout of movement. You're understanding, you know, how do I feel in this moment? That you know, I, I get in an argument with my significant other. Did my dog bite me? You know, whatever may happen, right? The, the, you know, to really figure out, all right, where am I at mentally right now? So then you can figure out, all right, do I need to have a, a mental adjustment to really get into this? Because for a lot of people, when it comes to running, it's like, oh, I don't want to do this. You know, the weather's not good. Ooh, the wind is blowing in the wrong way. Like all these other things, right? So as first as where are you mentally and do you need a mental adjustment? And then the second thing is really understanding, all right, let's go through your body. Let's go through from head to toe. You know, how are your, your legs feeling? How are your arms feeling? You know, so that way, once you start to go into the physical aspect of it, you'll already know where you need to add more focus. Yeah. And, and the reason I think all that's really important is, um, you know, this is not a straight line. Uh, you're going to have great training runs and you're going to have some that just suck and it's your energy level. It's something, but you got out there and you just, it wasn't your day and right. you've got to kind of accept that because that one day doesn't define you unless right. you let it. And so I, I really liked that idea of checking in with yourself beforehand, because that kind of gives you some precursors to know, you know, my energy level is not not 100% today. Maybe I didn't sleep as well as I needed to. Uh, you know, maybe I um, haven't been uh, recovering as well as I need to. Maybe my nutrition's off. And you talk about a lot of all this in the book. So that's why I liked the book overall, because it was not just a, just do it kind of thing. It was a, you know, here's everything that you need to consider as you go into this, because for you, a lot of what's out there isn't designed the way it should be for a runner that's that's going to finish back of the pack or maybe not even finish uh, before time. And I think that was another important thing that I kind of took out of this was for a lot of people going out to run their first uh, five or 10K, they don't really take into consideration, well, what, what happens if it takes me over the 50 minutes for this 5K and I'm not finished? What, what are they going to do then? Uh, and there's a lot of other considerations that you brought up that I thought were really important. Can you talk about some considerations as someone's looking at their first five or 10K, maybe even first half marathon that they should consider looking into before they get started? Absolutely. I, I would say the first thing is really understanding 
you know, what is the pace limits? Like, what is the pace cutoffs for this particular race? And then that way you can understand, all right, where are you at physically to understand if, you know, you're either going to have a good time with this pace cutoff or you're going to have what I like to call a bad time with this pace cutoff. So like, I think that's the first thing that you think about. And then you ask yourself, all right, can you do it within this pace time? The answer is yes, great. And the answer is uh, maybe. All right, now let's see uh, what the, what happens to the runners who fall behind the pace limit. Do they let you continue to run? Do they put you on a sidewalk? Do they put do you put you on a bus? You really need to understand like what is the ramifications if you don't make it to the finish line in the allotted time. And then you have to ask yourself, are you okay with those ramifications? Are you okay with having to run on the sidewalk because you're opening the streets up? Are you okay with um, getting on a bus because they're like, hey, like the race is over. You got to get on this bus because this thing is done. Are you okay with that? I know for some people, like they'll be devastated if they are participating in their first race and the bus is like, hey, you're just slow. Like we got to open this course up. You got to get on this bus. We're sorry, but your race is over with. And some people will be devastated. They might not even run it ever again. So making sure that they understand like what other ramifications if you don't make it uh, to the finish line in that certain time period. And then I think, you know, there are other ancillary things that you can also think about, you know, um, the time of day, the race start, like, is it a morning race? Is it a light, uh, a night race? I think about, um, you know, for longer distances, say, you know, you're training for a half marathon or a marathon, you know, are you training for a spring marathon, which means you have to train throughout the winter? Or are you training for a fall marathon, which means you have to train throughout the summer? And those have their own ramifications as well, whether you're training throughout the summer months and, you know, I don't know if you're down south or whatever, but like that's something you also need to think about as well. Um, and I th also think about like the last thing is, for individuals who who enjoy traveling to races, you know, how easy is it to get to that particular place? So, for example, I went to a race in Montana. I live in New York City. You would think um, out of all the places that would be a straight shot or a non, non-stop um, plane to Montana to New York City because it's the, one of the busiest cities in the world. Uh-uh. <laughs> it, that wasn't the case and I end up getting delayed on a stop and all types of things that goes along with that so it's also understanding where are you going and like what what does the airfare looks like or the travel look like to get there as well yeah I was running the uh the big Sur marathon you know they had the expo the day before and I went to the expo and they had the speech and the director did not say anything about the four hour limit for mm. the finish line. So what they were doing was they said, okay, we're going to, because they had had some mudslides. So they were having to close this particular road, this particular bridge for the race. And they didn't want to shut it down any longer than they had to. So they were looking at the first finishers finishing in two hours and, you know, a little over two hours. And then at four hours, they said, okay, well, we're going to have to open up the bridge. And so I'm running and all of a sudden they divert us. And now we're running through this, um, artichoke guard, you know, uh, planting. This is down a gravel road into the middle of nowhere. There's no fans down there. There was no nothing. You uh -huh. know, you finish the race and it's like, here you are, you're, you, here's your medal. And it's like, okay, there's two guys standing down here besides the people that were just running in with me. So we're walking back up to where the finish line is, which was now about another mile and a half away. And, you know, then all the people that had come to watch people finish, they didn't see us finish, but so there's these things that happen. Cause I was, I was you know, four my four hours. That was a slower marathon for me uh, at the time, but it was that whole thing of had I known, you know, I could have run just a little bit faster pace, particularly for the last few miles. And I probably would have made their cutoff, but you brought up a couple other important things in, in the book. Um, as far as they may run out of medals, mm -hmm. they may run out of, they may not have your t-shirt size. There may be all these other little things that are going to somewhat be little digs into you, you and you being a slower runner or your size or those different things. And right. that can really, uh, that can really mess with you as a runner uh, because you did finish the race and now you don't have the, the metal to hang up in your closet or wherever you hang up your medals. And so th there's a lot of considerations that you had in the book that I, I agree 
you want to make sure you're paying attention to because if you know we all do it we're all going to make mistakes as we prepare for our race like you said the the right. non not having a non-stop flight i had my luggage lost when i was flying to the dc marathon yeah. uh, the marine corps i fortunately i was wearing my running shoes but i had to go into the um i had to go into the expo and break your primary rule which is uh -oh. nothing new on race day <laughs> My shorts, my shirt, my everything else I was wearing besides even my socks. I had all I had on was my I had my running shoes on on the plane, and that's all I had going into the next morning for the race. So I had to stop at the expo and, and buy everything I needed. Um, and that was that was not the funnest race because I I broke your rule. Um, and I agree, it's an important rule. Nothing new on race day. Um, now another area that you got into a lot of runners kind of skip because they think, okay, well, I'm running. So that's my exercise for the day. I'm done, you know, and they're going to run, even if it's just, I'm going to run three or four times per week. That's all I need to be in good shape and be able to run. But you're a big, big proponent of cross training. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about why you're a proponent of uh, cross training and what someone should consider doing for cross training if they're running? Absolutely. So, what I like to tell people is the things that that you don't do as a runner that actually makes you a better runner. And I have this phrase that I tell all the people that I train, and that is you make time to cross train or you're going to make time for doctor's appointments and physical therapy appointments because you're going to get injured. And it's not if you get injured, it's when you get injured. So that's something I always tell people is that make time for cross train or you're going to be making time for doctor's appointments. Because that that is the true fact about running and this sport that we do is a very reported uh, repetitive sport. I think that um, a lot of people um, forget about all the other uh, ancillary muscles or accessory muscles that needs to uh, help keep you upright while you run and get injured a lot. So I'm a big proponent of cross training, more particularly. Most people, since we all are um, like have jobs that makes us sit on our butt, you know, there's this phrase called gluteal amnesia, dead butt syndrome. And this is thing is real. And it's the fact that like you sit on your butt for so long that like your glutes don't fire properly or don't fire at all when you're running. So then um, you, you, while you're running, you rely on like some of the smaller muscles versus some of the larger muscles in your body. So you rely on like calf or like um, mainly your calf and your soleus muscles to like help push off versus like using your glute muscles, which is like one of the larger muscles to help move your body. So that's one of the things that I let, like to tell people and let people know that you need to strengthen your glutes. And then the last thing is like engaging your core. I think, that comes with another thing. We're just sitting down for so long is that a lot of people forget how to necessarily engage their core um, and really think about that. Uh, when when people say core or like ab workout, they think about like sit-ups, right? But your core moves in multiple directions. It just don't go in that, that crunchy format. It goes to the side. It goes left to the right, to the front and the back. We need to make sure that our core is stable in order to make sure that everything else is grounded while we run as well. Yeah, I, I like to explain the core to, to people I train and say, think of it as like a, a soda can. And when that soda can is full, it's solid. You, you can put something on top of it. You can move it around. It's not going to crush. But you take that fluid out, which is how most of us are walking around, or worse, put a kink in it. And it's going to collapse. And so any yeah. kind of training volume you put on yourself, if you don't have a strong core, it is going to break. It is going to break at some point. So I, I totally agree with that. Strength training, uh, core training, and then even doing some of your, uh, your endurance training off of your feet um, or off of the road um, so that it's not so much extra repetitive effort on your body uh, just to have a, a certain level of cardiovascular strength. Yes. And I think that's a great thing to mention, right? It inside the book, I break up cross training in, in like two ways, right? You have strength cross training and you have cardio cross training. And I think a lot of people tend to forget that cardiovascular um, fitness can be um, brought on 
through various methods of exercise. They don't necessarily have to be running. It can be swimming. It can be cycling. It can be um, a plethora of things, but all of that still helps you with running as well. Yeah. Well, when I trained for my first one, um, I was in Washington, D.C., and I was training during the winter because it was the spring. It was a February marathon. So I'm like, okay, I'm in Washington, D.C. It's cold. <laughs> January and December in Washington, D.C. And I was from Mississippi, so I was flying up there, but that's when I had to train. So I'm like, well, I'm going to go over here to this YMCA and go in there and just do some some training there, some cross training inside. And uh, they had a 20-minute limit on the machines. So I would get on one machine like an elliptical and I'd do that for, you know, the 20 minutes and then I'd have to move over to a different machine like a bike or a stepper or a treadmill or whatever and then that's how I did a lot of my training was just to cross train there. And I think one of the core advantages of it was that I got my cardiovascular uh, endurance way up without putting so much stress on my knees, particularly running around Washington, D.C., where the, the pavement's like granite. Um, oh, my God. Yeah. It, it was. Yeah. It is not a fun place to run, even when I was in a safe part of the of the, <laughs> the town. Uh, but it was cold and it was hard and it was, I was like, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that too much. Uh, I did get out some and run, but for the most part, I did a lot of cross training. Um, and that was enough. That was enough to give me the endurance to be able to complete the run in my goal time. So I agree with all that. And I think, uh, you know, one of the cores and things that are, you have in here is you're, you're repeatedly thinking about the needs of the runner from the perspective of protecting their investment, protecting their body. So you talk about cross training, you talk about recovery and sleep and nutrition and all those different things. So I think it's a really good book for someone who does, you call it the ultimate guide for anyone who wants to run. Boom. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's exactly what this book is. Um, now, I define wellness as being the healthiest, fittest, and happiest you can be. What are three strategies or tactics to get and stay well? Oh, man. So let's start with the happiest, right? Um, I think when it comes to physical activity, a lot of people get into a comparison trap. Um, they look at you, they look at me or whoever, and it's like, oh, I'm not where I need to be or I'm not where you at and so on and so forth. And I think that one of the things that I've learned throughout all these years of running is that comparison is the thief of joy. It's the thief of joy and happiness. And, you know, one of the things I always like to tell the people that I train is that if your life doesn't depend on winning first, second, or third place in the race, like you're here and you're running a race to get a participation medal that you've already paid for. So there's no need to take yourself so seriously and get yourself so riled up for a race that, A, you're going to get participation medal at the end of it. You're not winning. So you already know that. So you you got to have something else that's going to drive you to to run. So that's the first thing. Comparison is a thing for the joy. Um, fittest. Being the fittest that you can possibly be. I think the best way to do that is through consistency. I think a lot of people underestimate the power of just being consistent. And this can be, okay, I'm going to be active. Most days out of the week, which is, I say, four days out of the week, right? Um, I think there's so many benefits that come with being regularly physically active that you'll get in your body, even if you don't lose weight, that I think that um, there's still so many benefits to continue to be active. And I think that's another thing that a, a lot of people fail to realize as well is that we've been so taught to understand that exercise equals weight loss. Right. So when people do exercise and they don't lose weight, they get all upset and sad and depressed and then stop exercising, not knowing that there's so many other benefits, better A1Cs, better cholesterol, better blood pressure, all these other things, the mental health benefit that comes with it, that you'll get so many, it's so beneficial that even if you don't lose weight, it's still a benefit. You still continue to do that. And I think that also rolls into the the last part of like the healthiest, right? By being regularly physically active, um, all of those markers that we look into or look at when we are um, going to a doctor, those markers um, get affected 
in a positive way when you are consistently being active. Cool. Thank you. So Martinez, if someone wanted to learn more about you, more about your run club, and more about your book, Slow AF Run Club, where would you like for me to send them? Um, you can go to slowafrunclub.com. Um, that'd probably be the best hub to go there to get more information. So we have information about the book there. The book is available wherever books are sold. Um, and then we also have an app on iOS and Android. So if you download the Slow AF Run Club app on your favorite phone, uh, Apple device, you'll be able to find the app there as well. Cool. Well, you can go to 40plusfitnesspodcast.com forward slash 601, and I'll be sure to have the links there. Martinez, thank you so much for being a part of 40 Plus Fitness. Thank you for having me, Alan. Welcome back, Raz. Hey, Alan. You know me. I love everything to do about running, and listening to Martinez share his story was super motivating. I, his story and his run club, I, I looked up his run club and his website, Slow at AF. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a really fun group of people. It's it's a really great community. Yeah. And, you know, that's that's kind of one of the cool things. Um, you know, again, it wasn't one story. I think that was what I really liked about the book mm-hmm. um, was that he, he really talked raw about the tough things that he went through, you know, the chafe mm-hmm. monsters and the being <laughs> yes. told he should get on the bus because he's not going to make it. And mm-hmm. he knew he was going to make it. Uh, particularly because the guy on the bus told him to get on the bus and kept coming back and asking him to get on the bus. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of lessons in there about what running means, uh, particularly for a slower runner. Some A lot of the mm-hmm. things that slower runners have to uh, put up with. He talks about shoes. He talks about everything else. Um, you know, but I think one of the one of the big stories out of all of it was that, you know, running is, it, it's a solo thing because mm-hmm. you have to do the work. Yeah. But it's also a very social thing mm-hmm. when you let it be. Yeah. And yeah. so the run club thing, um, he formed that online run club uh, predominantly because he couldn't find his tribe mm-hmm. in real life. He was trying and he went out with a group. And uh, in a place where you would kind of expect a lot more tolerance and and acceptance. And he went out to join the slow group mm-hmm. and was informed, okay, they're running this trail that he didn't know. And they were going to run 10-minute miles, which mm-hmm. was about twice as fast as he would normally have wanted to run mm-hmm. uh, that. Because he's he's going to be, you know, his running is going to be more in the 15 to 18 range mm-hmm. uh as a normal run just for a marathon or any kind of longer distance um he wasn't looking to run 10 minute miles now he tried because that was the slow group uh-huh. uh and then they left him yeah and as a result of being left he turned to go back to the parking lot and got a little lost mm-hmm. and then found two other runners that were trying to get back to the parking lot so they all went back together um, mm-hmm. You know, I only say that story, not that you would avoid a run club because there's mm-hmm. a lot of advantages. And I, I know, you know, Rachel, you can talk a lot more about being in run clubs, forming run clubs yeah. and all that. But to me, the cool advantages of a run club is the social aspects of it, of having mm-hmm. friends, having those peer groups. You know, when we talk about motivation, there's a peer group waiting for you on Tuesday night to do the mm-hmm. seven o'clock run. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys show up and do the seven o'clock run, have your beer together. And then, yeah. you know, it's a social thing, but it's also a safety thing, especially if you're doing trails or doing areas, you know, running with other people uh, is a huge safety thing, but it's not, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. not either of those things. If the group's going to leave you yeah. and, or, and, and because again, now there's no, there's no social. <laughs> it's you. You're alone <laughs> yeah. on the trail. And, yeah. and there's no safety because you just got left alone on the trail. Yeah. Um, but there are run clubs out there. And if there aren't, you could form your own. That's right. And the great thing about uh, Martinez putting his book together is that he is one of those back, back of the Packers. He's He was a new runner. He made all the classic uh, new runner mistakes and um, finally found his his people. He found a group of people that he could form a club with and, and do their thing together, which is so important. And I, I want to point out a couple of things is that a, a lot of people are afraid to start running because 
there are those fast people out there. There are people that run Boston, which those are only fast runners run the Boston Marathon. Well, but not only heard no, about it. no, that because again, if you read his book, well, you'll know that there there are lotteries. Oh yeah. There's there, there's charity there, groups there, there that are, you can there, always yeah, charity get groups a and there are lotteries where you can you can be picked for a lottery because he he went through that process too of, of for, lotteries and running because he's run some of the big ones too. There's some races where you have to qualify yeah. those, yeah. have a, t- a fast time, and Boston's one of those ones. And Alan, I've been running for 25 years. I am not a fast runner. I will never run the Boston Marathon. I'd have to shave two hours <laughs> off my <laughs> marathon time, which is not meant for me. But um, but but that's but that's the intimidating part of running, and that's why having a run club with people who are not always the fast runners is, is helpful because then you get to be with people that are more your speed and more your ability and have the goals that you have, which are a little different than running marathons and have, and setting PRs. So um, the problem with run clubs though, is that there are so many run clubs, the RRCA, the um, road runners club of America has a website where you can look up running or run clubs in your community or nearby your community. And most of them have a website and they'll tell you what they run and um, they'll give you an indication of what type of club they are right here by me. There's probably, I would have to guess five, six, seven different run clubs in my area. And I know because of experience, some of them are the fast ones. There's one run club in the city that I cannot even keep up with. And it twists and turns through the city. So if I don't have my eye and and look which direction the guy's turning, I'll be lost <laughs> for the rest of the day. Just like Martinez was on well, that. That just trail. means you get to do more miles. That's all. <laughs> yes. As long as I can find my way back to start, yeah. I guess we're okay. But but with my run clubs that I participate with or that I manage on my own is we have um, a local trail. It's an out and back course. And when somebody new joins us, I ask them all the questions. How fast do you run? How far do you want to run? If this is your first time out, we'll run a mile together. If if you're an experienced runner, I'll tag you with the faster runners that are more experienced. So I kind of watch for people in my run clubs, but not all run clubs are that way. So it's important that you kind of pick and choose. Don't just blindly show up and and then not be aware, just like what Martinez had experienced with his run club. Yeah. And so, you know, again, uh, it's a really good book if you're a beginner, because mm-hmm. he does tell the stories of the mistakes and, the mm-hmm. you know, the struggles. And that's actually a big part of why he runs. Mm-hmm. He runs because of the struggle. Mm-hmm. Okay. And he, he runs because he's not supposed to run. He's over 300 pounds. You're not <laughs> supposed to run when you're over 300 mm-hmm. pounds. His doctor even said that. So just realize that you should run if you want to run. You mm-hmm. should do what you want to yeah. do to live the life that you want to live. Mm-hmm. And again, as, mm-hmm. as long as you don't have some underlying condition that you don't know about, which he didn't. He didn't have the underlying condition mm-hmm. other than being a big boy. Um, a very big boy, mm-hmm. then it was, okay, now if I want to run, I just got to do it right. He went and got shoes and he started, but he still, lesson after lesson, the chafe monster got him on on one bit, you know, yeah. and then there was the <laughs> this, you know, getting, getting mm-hmm. lost when the run club left him and, you know, that. And then, so there were a lot of lessons that hopefully, you know, you go through and you start your journey and you've read his book. You kind of have the mm-hmm. idea, okay, cotton is not my friend once I start doing more than about 30 minutes yes. running. Um, just little things like that mm-hmm. that don't seem like a big deal uh, can be a very big deal. But that's what's mm-hmm. so cool about running is at first, you just need a pair of comfortable, sturdy mm-hmm. shoes that are going to last a little bit, get right. out there and start going. Then you can start investing in better shoes. Then you can start investing in better clothes. Mm-hmm. And then you can start investing in all kinds of gear and stuff and goos and all kinds of stuff. But in a general sense, <laughs> it's the easiest sport yep. to start and then grow into. 
It is. It's a great sport. It's a, it, you put, you get it out of it, what you put into it. It's really all on you and it's how you're feeling, how far you want to go, what you feel like accomplishing, but it, it gives you so much more back. It can give you your health. It can bring you to friendships um, in the run clubs. And that's why I love it so much. <laughs> and I could drone on for hours about how great it is, especially how great run clubs are, but also um, back to run clubs. That is a good place to learn because every single one of us runners has made all of these mistakes at one time or another. And this is how we can help you become a better runner by maybe getting you through some of these mistakes. So you don't have to make them all, <laughs> but, yeah, but it is it. a great, great place to be. And his book sounds really really fun. Sounds yeah, like a great it, read. It, it's if you're thinking about running or you're a beginner runner, it is a really good book. Mm -hmm. All right. Great. Well, Raz, I'll talk to you next week. Take care, Alan. You too. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Next time on the 40 Plus Fitness Podcast, we meet Heather Hirsch and discuss her book, Unlock Your Minute Pause Type, Personalized Treatments, The Last Word on Hormones, and Remedies That Work. Until then, have a happy and healthy week.